<laughs> I think we can be thankful, right? Dear Lord, we're very grateful for those donuts. We're grateful for your word. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I heard that amen. We're in Isaiah 48. Now there's a reason we're in Isaiah 48. Because Isaiah 48 is not one one normally turns to for a sermon. But in Isaiah 48 is a phrase that was in my mind because of an experience I had over the holidays, over just the last week or so. I don't remember what day, but last one or two weeks. What happened was I was in a discussion with someone with whom I did not agree. Can you imagine? Not only did I not agree, the word of the Lord was upon me. I felt the need to straighten this out, whatever the error of judgment was. I don't even remember what I was talking about. But as I listened to my fellow Christian, because he was a fellow Christian, I suddenly realized there was an expression on my face. Have you ever felt the expression that was on your face inside? You know, a lot of people really, you know, I, we were taking care of our grandchildren last night, and the rather overacting that goes on in small children when they try to represent their disgruntledness. You know, the lip comes out. I realized I was making an expression that was conveying kind of a, well, it was, a, it was an unpleasant realization. Let's just say I, I, I realized I was making an expression I did not like. I had seen it on other people. I knew I was making it. I don't know if the other person recognized I was making that expression. And the passage that came to my mind, verse 4 of chapter 48 of Isaiah, because I know you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. Because that's kind of, you know, the jaw, you know, you, you end up acting like a, you know, great ape, you know, your jaw gets all very out. And your brow lowered and you're, you're sort of acting almost animalistic. All those signals you see, are, you're surprised not to be found pawing the ground like a bull. I had to repent of it immediately. It felt so ugly. I related it to a couple of people, told the wife and told some, some other people when it, about when it happened. And, but it was been on my mind. And so I was looking for the passage, Isaiah 48. Now I'm not suggesting that Isaiah 48 is about making bad facial expressions and uh, the like. But it was more uh, what expression I had on my face. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who come forth from the loins of Judah, 
who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Got that? This is the Orthodox, the true camp. Judah, Israel, Judah, the Lord, it's Yahweh in that reading, the name of Yahweh, confess the God of Israel, signed up for the team, but the Lord knows that that, that action has happened all the way down through history, members of the true position, but not in truth themselves or in rightness themselves. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now, we don't know what the contention is. The problem is, God is saying, I have a dim view. A dim view of these people who are in the precisely correct camp, but not truly. And he's declaring the rest of this. This is the whole chapter, Isaiah 48, all of it. He says, the former things I declared of old. They went forth from my mouth and I made them known. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass, I declared them to you from of old before they came to pass. I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my graven image and my molten image commanded them. That's what he's expecting. He says, I had a tactic with you that I was going to lead my punches. You were going to know what was coming. You were going to have a, 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 you might say, an orthodox tradition down through the ages where God represented himself consistently as X. And I was going to prophesy things well in advance so you knew what was going to come. Because I knew what you were going to do with that information if I didn't. If I didn't foretell it, a good thing would happen in your life and you would give credit to Baal because you're worshiping Baal on the side. So in your coffee time with your friends, you say, well, Baal really came for me this week. And, and Yahweh is standing up and saying, no, it wasn't Baal, it was me. It's what does man do? How do we perform? How do we act when... So the natural expression that came on my face that I did not approve of, but it came on anyway, is part of man's natural obstinate contention. We don't like it, Les and I uh, joke sometimes about how in relationships it's usually no offense to the ladies, but it's usually the ladies. The husband says, you know, I was, I was talking to so-and-so two months ago, like I said, before the sentence is finished, it was three months, honey. It was three months. Well, that, how old is your grandchild? Uh, you got to know, 15 weeks, 17 and a half, honey. It seems to be always numbers, because... Men are bad with the numbers and women are good with the numbers, but we know that we go through life and men do it differently. Because I, I have a philosophy club that meets every Saturday morning for 39 years because we can get men to just toss some red meat out on the floor and 
they'll be at it. Because they, the contention, for fun, great. We have games. But we are naturally about something that when God steps into our lives and says, I'm going to be doing some things and revealing myself because I know what you would do. You would, just because, why would they credit their fake gods when Yahweh is there to credit? Why would they credit the fake gods if Yahweh was there? Our behavior is recognizable. And not only is it recognizable, just like your mom said, if you keep making that face, it's going to stick like that. And it does. You, you, you know people for whom the expression that was on my face this week has stuck on people. I knew you were obstinate. You have heard. Now see all this. And will you not declare it? From this time forth, now this is where he shifts. He says, the former things I declared of old. Back in the days, you got the rule, the rule instruction book handed to you beforehand. This is the way I am running the universe. This is the way I want things to happen. This is what I am going to bring to pass. I am going to get credit for this goodness, this event, this phenomena. In verse 6 he says, From this time forth I make you hear new things, hidden things which you have not known. Now this is, as I was reading through this, I was beginning to realize that we have, no matter what's going on, we're looking for the path to be contentious in favor of our own devising. Okay? Because it really doesn't matter if your husband said two months. You bring up three months because you are devising your own dominance in the situation. God knows he's been trying to work you different ways with different approaches declaring things from old and bringing new things onto the scene. Tragically, we're so obstinate, we end up becoming slaves of the orthodoxy. In other words, rejecting that which is new because it is new. Rejecting that which is old because it is old. Because, not because we have examined C.S. Lewis argues this is called the chronological snobbery, that things that are no longer believed because they're believed in the Middle Ages are believed to be wrong because they were believed in the Middle Ages. That's a chronological snobbery. You have to examine the arguments. Did they just go out of fashion, or did they get proven wrong? Time does not make something wrong. But we're so, again, he's setting up the situation where you're being, he's trying to outflank you with declaring things beforehand so you won't give credit to the other gods, declaring new things to you that you haven't known so you would stay humble. Lest you should say, behold, I knew them. They're created now, not long ago, before today you have never heard of them. Lest you should say, behold, I knew them. 
So there's a uh, more of a task of not saying, well, is God a God of tradition and orthodoxy, or is he a God of fashion and trend? We look at, you know, liberal-minded people that are always trying to adjust Jesus to make him fashionable and trendy, believing, of course, all the things the cool kids believe on campus. Uh, and other people who are, you know, dead in their, their denomination, their, their ties just get getting thinner and thinner. I think they cease to exist when the tie disappears. They become, they become old. You notice that about certain churches, that the churches just become old and disappear? This church may do it too. You know, we, we know each other, maybe for a long time. We don't leave, we'll never leave in Moscow and we just die. Pretty soon we'll be having funerals in this room. Nice uh, casket laid out here. Or an urn, in case you got cremated. We are more about, what I want you to think about today, is if you think about anything, it's not about which which one you're obstinate about, or which way you struggle against. But to realize you're struggling against, or that you have got features in you that don't listen to God, what he's doing. You're not looking forward to his truth because he is saying it. Not because it's old-timey, not because it's new and happening, but because he is saying it. He said the things of old, the great doctrines of the faith, which from the time of Christ forward are true today, they're not less true. But you know that the, the Christ came on as a new thing. Everyone was believing the law of the Jews was, you know, the ceremonies, the temple, the priesthood. Just fine. We're the best religion on the planet. God's going to keep us as a people. We're going to keep our temple. And if ever it gets destroyed, God will bring us back and then we'll rebuild the temple. And, and, you know, three temples later, Jesus shows up and said, not one stone will be left upon another. He declared himself the temple. He became the sacrifice that actually took away sins. A new thing came. There could be an element here in chapter 48 of Isaiah that is messianic. It's a little, you'll, you'll wonder, you'll look at it a little, bit, a little bit further on in the passage and wonder. But what I need us to do is look at ourselves. You have never heard, you have never known. Verse 8, and of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would deal very treacherously. And that from birth you were called a rebel. Now he's saying this about Israel because back in Genesis 33, remember Jacob wrestling the angel at the Jabbok? And he won't let the angel go. He prevails against him. And so the angel pops his leg out of joint. So you know, he's crippled and won't let the angel go. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And uh, the angel says, uh, okay, you have been called Jacob, which means he who supplants or something along those lines. 
with Israel. He strives with God. Because that's what he was doing. He was wrestling with a God at the Jabbok. From the beginning, his treatment of Esau, his struggle with God, he's a rebel. I know nothing, you know, this is America, James Dean is cool for certain reasons, you know. We know that we like to stand by a drugstore with Winston-Salem's rolled up in your sleeve and, and smoking like a dude because you're a rebel. I always wanted to be a rebel, a very graphically pleasing rebel, but I wanted to be a rebel. Everyone wants to make their own way, have their own opinions, do their own thing. Uh, from birth you were called a rebel. That's the truth of Israel. I mean, the naming is right there. That's why the passage started, who are, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name Israel. It's a reminder in verse 1. And then he comes back to it and says, you know, from your birth, you're a rebel. You were holding on to your brother's heel when you came out as twins, trying to supplant your brother. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Now look at that. For the sake of his praise. We're always struggling to be in charge because we're most concerned about having it our way because we think nothing could be better, even a negative thing, if it is our way. Maybe as a child you can remember or you know children today who would rather see not having if they could exert their will in not having. Not that they got what they wanted, but they kept other people from getting what they wanted. As long as their will became known and active and in charge. That's what rebels are trying to do. That's what the obstinate stand in the way to declare. There's just a I want some praise, I want some attention, I want, I want to be in charge here. There was a, I always relate this scene, I forget the name of the movie, uh, Ray Liotta, not Ray Liotta, it's a kind of island prison thing. Um, the worst of the worst sent out to this prison, they just let them run the island themselves. There's a struggle for power between different gangs. They have a conference where the leaders get together. A few minutes later, one of the leaders comes out and rolls the other guy's heads down the stairs. And he says, I really like to be in charge. That's all of us. Looking at each other with narrow eyes, really want to be in charge here. God saying, you know, you really ought to love your enemies. I don't know, Lord, I really want to be in charge. I really think that that's not probably the wisest thing you've ever said, Jesus. Perhaps you should reconsider. Perhaps it was three months and not two months. For the sake of his praise, he has decided not to knock you into the next county. Can you, you look at your children when they're trying to 
throw a fit to get you to do something. What was the, what was the word that Brianna used about kids last night when Cheryl did something? Is that that was some fancy word that a kid would not use. But because it was so funny, she had started laughing. He was so performing. Because that's what we are. We have that, that look washing across our face as we set one foot behind us against the living God. The living God is standing there looking at you like, are you kidding? I made heaven and earth. You're, you're, you're not all that. But no, I really am. Honest father, I really love her. Or whatever your plan is you have for your life. For the sake of his praise. His patience in this struggle for power. If, if this was a struggle for power, it would be brief. We struggle, and he just puts his hand on our forehead, and we're swinging blindly at him, trying to take what he wants us to do away from him so we can do what we want to do. Behold, I have refined you, but not like silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. And listen to this. It stuck out to me because it says, for my own sake. For my own sake. He repeats it. I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God knows how in his patience, in his kindness, in his benevolence, and his willingness to not become an absolutely, you know, everyone is doing bad, I think I will just blot existence out. But he will not give his glory to another. Remember, at various points in time, when your kids are growing up, preteen, getting that little, that sort of, I can joke with my parents. I can say funny things at their expense. And that first time they say something and you say, I don't think you ought to be talking to your parents that way. It comes home to them, and it should come home to us, that the maker of heaven and earth is not looking for your advice on how to run this place. And when we struggle with how he has run it, what he has given to us, what he has declared from of old, and what he declares that is new. On one end, you look at Christians who are doubting the creation of the universe by God. And other Christians, very more faithful and, and are big on creation, don't even listen to the new covenant of Jesus Christ. They design Christianity just to be Judaism rehashed. Jesus Christ is a new thing. The declaration of God's creation, another old thing. Hearken to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble, all of you, and hear who among them has declared these things. Now, I don't know if this is a hidden aspect of a messianic thing here. The Lord loves him. 
When it says, who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon. His arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. So that there's a kind of a hint, the same sort of anticipation that Isaiah gives in other passages of what's coming. Uh, combining the messianic promise with the coming of Cyrus the Persian and a bunch of other uh, elements like that but it's very clearly in some cases the Lord but it's pointing at what God is doing right now that the Jews could not say we know what this is all about it, what God is doing right now might not fit into any of your categories of, of orthodoxy without saying that orthodoxy is not true that God can be new it's a matter of what who is doing it, not whether or not it follows a certain, um, you might say, expected religious posture. Verse 16 says, draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be I have been there. The question is whether we draw near to God. Because in all of this, when he declared things in the begin, from the beginning, he was doing it to a, get around our natural response to credit someone else. When he does something new, our natural response is to say, or to want to say, I already knew that. I knew that. Did you ever use that phrase? I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I read that. We want to have our things, ourselves built up. And the question is, do we want to draw near to him? To draw near to him. From the beginning, he has not spoken in secret. We should always be listening for his voice. Our master is not just God rehashed to look like Evan. Evan doesn't get to have a God that looks like him so that he can worship him more easily. Because I'm already worshiping myself. Do we all not, to some degree, when we sin, we are serving ourselves with that kind of worship? He has not spoken in secret. He is easy to find. Very few people go looking for him, but he's easy to find. And now, the Lord God has sent me in his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit who leads you in the way you should go. Now I put that in red because that's the ultimate decision point. All sin, all salvation in Jesus Christ is when God has put forward to you, he is your redeemer and he knows how you should run your life. Meaning you do not know how to run your life. We were talking last night about, about this a little bit. The idea that people lack confidence and faith in their Lord because they really never had themselves very clearly defined in the moment. And they did not hear of Jesus Christ directly. But if you know you and you meet Jesus Christ, the confidence, the self-evident nature of the truth of the gospel comes home to you, you believe absolutely. We end up not believing absolutely, believing clearly, because we don't have a clear view of ourselves and the world around us. 
this evidence, this moment of saying, the God, he who made heaven and earth. That's why I always pray at the beginning of the services, dear Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, is because we all need to always know he made heaven and earth. We did not set out the heavens. We did not do any of it. We should not wrestle him and try to juke him out of some um, of his leadership. He's there to give us profit in the way that we should go. It's you know, the old adage that I, I put into the, uh, the law of lords. A lord is lifted up to make that peace which those that are below must kneel to enjoy. If you want to enjoy the peace of God, you kneel. Oh, that you had hearkened to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like sand, and your descendants like grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Because what happens when you kneel before the other, when you stop saying three months instead of two, when you stop saying, I already knew that, when you stop trying to give credit to other gods in your life, For what God is trying to represent himself as doing, his glory, his profit, his way, when you stop all that and you find yourself dropping on your knees because you're in front of majesty, you hearken to his commandments. You know who you are members of. When you find yourself membered to Jesus Christ, you want to do what he wants you to do. You'll have peace. You'll have righteousness. And I guess a lot of descendants. Go forth from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it forth to the end of the earth. I got phrase. That's why it's in red. Declare this with a shout of joy. God is in his heaven. You here on earth. Therefore let your words be few. Who is your God? Do we fight him every stage of the way? Are we like Israel? Are we trying to get our praise or his praise? His way is peace. And you just be honest to say, you are going to get the peace of the ruler you bow to. Remember, it's not, it's not just in the positive that a Lord is lifted up to make that peace that those that are below must kneel to enjoy. That's not just a positive thing. It's just a kind of a truism. And it's, it's also, I get the peace of the Lord to whom I knelt. And so if my leadership is some pop thinker on some podcast, if my leader is my own lusts and my own urges, if my if my Lord is the peace that I could construct or my denomination could construct, well, count on it, you're going to get the peace that you bow to. I was thinking at that last that, that uh, comparing us to little kids, because it was an adult expression. I want you to know it was an adult expression. I wasn't sticking my lip out or anything, I was, but I knew I had the bad expression. Little kids will do that now. They just get themselves worked up into when they first learn how to use their digits and they and they want to take their glass full of milk. I do it. 
And I get to see the Lord going, okay, all right, knock yourself out. We'll be wiping up milk because you can't do it. We're dumb as a bag of hammers. We really don't know what life is about. If we know who to bow to, it says, they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He cleft the rock and the water gushed out. Now he doesn't say, see, good comes. What does he say? There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. That's how the passage ends. And it doesn't follow on in chapter 49, picking up on this. That calamitous verse. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Remember, when you're an obstinate person, you're generally fighting for yourself. You're not smart enough to do that. You might think you're smarter than the next guy who you're correcting about everything. But you're not smart enough to bring peace to your life. You can tie your shoes. God bless you. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. For the peace. We're grateful for you being a God who has led us from of old, who has brought us the new things in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we'd ask that we would serve you, your praise, your glory, and our peace. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.